Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. It has been called the most depressing thing I have ever read. The author has been described as Mr. Negativity. Listen to the words from Selections in the book of Ecclesiastes. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief. His occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is futile. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does the one gain who struggles for the wind? What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. Welcome to the seventh message in our Stay Positive series. Life is futile and wearisome, and life is miserable, the pursuit of win, and life is distressing, filled with grief and sorrow, tragic and frustrated. Have a great day, everybody. Stay positive. <laughs> what is up with this? I mean, this is hard to believe these words are even in the Bible. I mean, you may be here today and you're thinking, man, I never knew the Bible was so depressing, so negative, so sad. Well, we got to remember a few things. First, remember that Solomon, King Solomon, wrote these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Another thing we need to remember about Solomon. Solomon is the consummate student of all of humanity. He's ever watching and observing, ever listening and learning. And he's the valedictorian of our class, the class of humanity. And what he's done is he's taken some very careful notes. And he wants to share his notes with the rest of us in class. Because he wants us to pass. And he wants us to understand and learn. And sadly, sadly most humans are struggling and failing at the class of life. They're not ready for the exams that are coming. They don't understand the subject matter they're dealing with. They're ill-prepared. For this world and all of its pop quizzes that show up. We also need to understand something else about Solomon. In the book of Ecclesiastes, what he is doing is he is leading us on a journey of life. And he leads us down into these dark, dreary valleys of struggle. Not to stay there, but to listen and to learn. And then to lead us out to climb these mountain peaks of purpose. And when we get to the top of these mountain peaks of purpose, we have a clear view of life. What it's really all about. 
what is the good life and the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And we gain perspective on these mountain peaks of purpose. And so don't stay in the valley of your negativity, in the valley of futility. Don't stay in the valley of your cynicism and your pessimism. Hike on up and hike on out to this mountain peak of purpose where you get a view. You get a view of the meaning of life. You get to see the good life. Now, for every two chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, he gives us six different mountain peaks of purpose. And that's where he summarizes what life is all about. These peaks of purpose are found in these chapters. Chapter 2, 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 5, chapter 8, and chapter 9. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you with me this morning to hike on up to one of these mountain peaks. We're going to hike on up to the mountain peak in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And what we're going to do is we're going to get to the mountain peak and we're going to learn the secret of life where to find fulfillment in life. And we're going to learn about the good life. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We get to the mountain peak. Listen and learn what we, what we have here. Chapter 5 verse 18. Solomon says, Here's what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life. God has given him because that is his reward furthermore everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth he's also allowed him to enjoy them take his reward and rejoice in his labor this is a gift of God for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart Solomon wants us to know, first and foremost, that the good life is possible. And that's how he starts off. You can have the good life. The good life is possible. The good life is attainable. And you may be here this morning thinking, I don't see it out there. I look at this world, two years of a pandemic and record high inflation and gas prices and seemingly on the world, on the verge of World War III, Scott, and, and they're talking nuclear weapons right now. And when I look at my life, I certainly don't see it. Maybe you look in the, in the mirror of your life and you don't see the good life. You see a struggling marriage and struggling at work and struggling with finances and you see sickness in your own life or loved ones and you see someone who's just recently died who is close to you and you just don't see the good life. And Solomon here in verse 18 is saying, here is what I've seen to be good. Don't, don't doubt. Don't, don't doubt. Don't live in defeat. Don't live in discouragement. This is what I've seen to be good. Don't live in denial of the fact you can have the good life. He's saying, I want you to stay positive. The problem is we're confused about the good life. And so was Solomon. And the good life isn't found where most people are looking for the good life. See, Solomon was the wealthiest man who ever lived. He was the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos of his time. See, Solomon had it all, bought it all, did it all, and experienced it all. He tells us about his experience. 
and seeking and chasing after what the world says is the good life. Let me share it with you. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, different verses. He said as his goal, pleasure. I'm just going to go after pleasure. Verse 1. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. I am going to do everything possible to have pleasure in this life and enjoy the good life. So what did he do? Well, first he experimented with alcohol. Verse 3. I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So I'm just going to imbibe, and I'm just going to get drunk, and I'm just going to test out all kinds of different alcohol and just go for it and, and, and live the highs, the material, the, the substance highs of this world. Next, he immersed himself in building projects. Verse 4. I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself, made gardens and parks for myself, planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. He accumulated possessions, verse 7. I also owned livestock, large herds, flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I'm the winner of having it all. He had more than anybody else. He acquired servants and slaves. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I had everyone doing everything for me, waiting on me hand and foot, meeting my every wish and every want. That's what he did. Oh, and by the way, he had lots of riches, vast amounts. Verse 8. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. He enjoyed the best entertainment. I gathered male and female singers for myself. You know what he had? He had box seats to everything and anything, and he was on a first-name basis with all the celebrities of his day. Oh, he also fulfilled himself with every sexual pleasure imaginable. Ecclesiastes 2.80 had many concubines, the delights of men. To what extent did he pursue sexual gratification? 1 Kings 11. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines and they turned his heart away. Like if 700 wives couldn't provide for him, he had to have 300 concubines. Every one of his sexual fantasies was fulfilled. He had a thousand women at his beck and call. He achieved unsurpassed fame. Verse 9, I became great and surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. He was so famous, the queen of Sheba, in Egypt, would pay him a special visit. She would be blown away. We read in 1 Kings 10, when the queen of Sheba observed all Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servant's residence, his attendant's service, and their attire, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. She looked at this guy's life and it just blew her away and she's a queen. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. She's saying this was not an exaggeration. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even told half of all that you have and all that you've done. He grew in knowledge and wisdom. Ecclesiastes 2.9, my wisdom also remained with me. And other verses tell us he was the wisest man to ever live. See, he had the greatest of education of anybody. He had more knowledge than anybody. He had the degrees. He had the doctorates. He indulged in over-the-top hedonism. Verse 10. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny. He didn't deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. If he saw it, he got it. If he wanted it, he bought it. 
He experienced everything and anything he wanted to in this world. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Like Jeff Bezos of our day. He's building a $500 million sailing yacht, the biggest and most expensive ever. It's a football and a third foot long. The maximum amount of people it can accommodate is 18, but it takes a crew of 40 to service it. And it costs $25 million a year to operate. Oh, and by the way, he blasts off in his own private backyard rocket ship from his 165,000 acre ranch in Texas to spend 10 minutes in it to go up to float around in space and come back down. Why? Because he can. He can do it all. He can have it all. He can experience it all. And that's Solomon. Solomon had the good life. All the pleasure and the projects and the possessions and the servants and the money and the entertainment and the sex and the fame and the intelligence and education and over-the-top hedonism. He had it all. He did it all. He bought it all. He had the good life. And what does he say about it? Ecclesiastes 2, 1 and 11. I said to myself, go ahead and I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So what the world said was the good life was a lie. It was empty. It was a mirage. There was no fulfillment. He had it all, tried it all, did it all, and nothing satisfied. As someone has said, half the world is unhappy because it can't have the things that are making the other half unhappy. <laughs> and some of you here today at home, in your car, some of you here in person, you're unhappy. You're not satisfied. Because you keep trying the next thing, you keep trying the newest thing, you keep trying a different thing. Some of us are addicted you're addicted to the next thing. You're addicted to the newest thing. You're addicted to the next purchase. You're addicted to the next experience. And when you think you finally have the good life, it just slips through your lack of fulfillment fingers again, like sand. Do you understand what Solomon's doing? He's saying, I'm trying to teach you you will never be able to do, Solomon says, all that I've done. You will never be able to buy all that I bought. You'll never be able to own all that I've owned. You'll never be able to experience all that I've experienced. You know what Solomon's saying? Let me save you the headache and the hassle and the heartache of this life. Let my emptiness save you from being empty. He's saying stop wasting your life chasing what the world says is the good life. Because some of you are wasting your life. And Solomon is saying, would you just look at me and learn from me? You don't have to waste your life like I did. Because you'll never be able to buy and do and experience everything that I've done. So learn from me. And save yourself some time and save yourself some money and save yourself some hassle and headaches.
You can have the good life, he says. And he's going to tell us in verse 18, here is what I've seen to be good, what is beneficial, what is wholesome. And what he's going to do is he's going to remove all of the extras and all of the additives, and he's going to boil it down, and he's going to condense it, and he's going to give us only the essentials, and this is what he's going to teach us. The good life is possible. The good life is the life you have right now. The good life is possible. And the good life is the life you have right now. Or to put it another way, you will never have the good life until you understand you have the good life. You will never have the good life until you understand you have the good life. So the good life is possible. And the good life enjoys the simple. Understand that. The simple things of life is where the good life is found. You already have the good life. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you already do. See, the good life is learning contentment in life. It's been said the most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what he or she wanted. The most unhappy person is the one who got what he or she wanted and then found out that it wasn't as wonderful as they expected. The secret of a happy life is not to get what you want, but to live with what you've got. But here's the problem, Proverbs 27, 20. People's eyes are never satisfied. The story is told of a man called Ali Hafid. He owned large farms and orchards, grain fields and gardens in what is today Southeast India. He was a man of considerable wealth. One day a man from the east was traveling through and he told this wealthy farmer about the wealth of diamonds which was the true wealth. Diamond mines are far superior to grain fields and gardens. So Ali Hafid went to bed that night a different man. He went to bed that night a discontented poor man now craving the wealth of diamonds. And he ended up selling his farm in search of the rare stones, traveling the world, eventually dying poor, broken, defeated, and would take his own life. Ali Hafid's farm and gardens and land was purchased by another man. And one day that man was leading his camel to drink from one of the streams in the garden. And a flash of light caught his attention in the sands of the stream. He would bend down and pull out a stone that reflected all of the hues of the rainbow and the man had discovered the diamond mine of Golconda, the greatest diamond mine in the history of our world. That land would go on to develop 38 separate mines and the output of those mines would yield 12 million carats of diamonds, including some of the world's most famous diamonds, the Blue Hope, the Dresden Green. Had Ali Hafid just remained at home and dug in his own garden, he would have had acres of diamonds instead of poverty, instead of death in a strange land. Learn to dig in your own garden. Be content with what you have. See, God really has given you the good life. You have the good life. You just need to be willing to open your eyes and you need to start digging in your own garden. 
It's been said it is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more, who is poor. 2,000 years ago, Lucius Seneca. It's been said by Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. If I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard, my own garden. Because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. Most importantly, it's been said by God. 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Don't wander away from your own garden. Dig in your own garden. What are some of the things in our own garden? Well, those things are some of the simple things in life. What kind of simple things? He tells us, verse 18, it's appropriate to eat and drink. Even the food you eat and the meals that you have are to be enjoyed. He says, start there. He says, why don't you slow down and enjoy some meals with your family? Boy, did I blow this on Friday night. And I'm preaching it and I'm studying it. I was here till about 6.30 on Friday night, skipping my meal with my wife and my daughter. That's where I should have been. See, even pastors fail miserably and need to learn these lessons. We need to learn how to slow down. Maybe take a friend out to lunch, enjoy a meal. Maybe stop running out the door, stuffing food down your throat, like some of you did this morning on the way to church. And just get up a little bit earlier and savor that food and enjoy it. Just learn to relax. Maybe, maybe here's a challenge for you after church today. Enjoy that meal after church. Go out to a restaurant or go home. Help set the table, sit down. Share that conversation. Pass whatever is made. And enjoy that meal together. Enjoy the simple things of life. Be intentional. And recognize food is even a gift from God. Psalm 104. He causes grass to grow for the livestock, provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth, wine that makes human hearts glad, making his face shine with oil, and bread that sustains human hearts. See, there really is comfort food, believe it or not. And God says, why don't you find comfort in that food and enjoy it? Now, comfort food doesn't mean gluttony. doesn't mean lack of self-control and overeating. But start enjoying the simple things of life, like a meal. Enjoy the activities, Ecclesiastes 3.22. I've seen that there's nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities, because that is his reward for who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies. So life is short, so enjoy life. And all of the simple activities of life should be enjoyed. What are some of them? How about the warmth of that first cup of coffee in the morning? Sitting on a porch listening to a summer storm with the rain coming down? How about warming yourself by a campfire, smelling the, the smoke of that campfire? Fishing at a lake or a river or hunting? Watching birds at your feet or listening? Isn't it beautiful to listen to the birds with spring around the corner in the morning? Just the simple activities, take them in. Walking in the woods, running in the woods, laughing with a friend, 
playing games. I, I, played, I played Yahtzee the other day with my mother-in-law and my wife and my daughter, and they killed me. I hated it. <sighs> I just am horrible at games, man. But it was nice to sit around the table and just laugh and have that time. Reading a good book is a simple activity. Giving or receiving a good hug. Watching lightning bugs in a summer field. I love that. Playing with a puppy or being greeted at the door by your dog when no one else will greet you. <laughs> Watching a sunrise or a sunset. Don't we have the best sunsets in the Midwest? Man, they're just beautiful. Would you just stop and watch that sunset? Listening to a favorite song, holding a grandchild. Man, I'm loving doing that. Listen, all of these beautiful activities are part of the good life. And by the way, they don't cost anything. They really don't. That's the good life. You have it. It's stopping and smelling the roses. And, and by the way, it's enjoying these simple activities without making everything a competition. We, we've got um, Easter egg hunts or all the raids are coming up. And by the way, we're going to have a great activity here for the kids and families at church. It's, it's called Easter Excellent Adventure. We're going to have trunks with, ki- with eggs and, and candy and Easter story and games and, and food trucks. We're going to have a bunch of food trucks. It's going to take place the Saturday before Easter. So mark your calendars. Invite friends. Invite family. Use it as an outreach. But soon, Easter eggs, the kids are going to love their Easter eggs. And I remember when all of my five kids were small, and my father and mother-in-law loved doing a big Easter egg kid, a hunt for all their grandkids. And so all the cousins were there, and my kids were there, and they'd put eggs all over the front yard, all over the backyard, all over the side yards, in the bush. I mean, eggs everywhere. And they'd say, go! And all the older kids, you know, boom, kicking off, grabbing and getting and going and getting and going and grabbing. And, and, and I'm with my little two to three-year-old uh, daughter, who's the youngest one, Raina. She's like, boop, boop. I'm like, girl, you got to get going. There's eggs to get. Everybody's getting them all. Come on, what are you? I'm a little competitive. And come on, let's go. And she's just taking it in, no, no rush, no fuss, whatever, just enjoying herself. Listen, some of us, we spend too much time running around in this world going and grabbing and getting and growing and going and grabbing and getting. And you know what we need to start doing? It's just enjoying one egg at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time. Just hold that day, hold that moment, and appreciate it for what it is, and appreciate those people for who they are. So he says, enjoy your meals, enjoy the simple things. Next he says, enjoy your work. What? Yeah, he says, enjoy your work. Look at verse 18. And experience good in all the labor one does under the sun. Do you realize God gave Adam work before sin entered the world? Work was a gift from God before sin entered into the garden. So don't see your work as a curse. See work as a blessing from God for our minds to work and our hands to work, for us to be able to do something and make things and think through things. God knew that was a gift. It's not a curse. So the good life means learning to enjoy all work, all toil, all labor, Finding satisfaction in all work, all toil, all labor. 
Whether we work at home or we commute or whether we work outside or sit behind a desk or whether you're working with your hands building something or at a computer, enjoying work is a key to enjoying life. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 2, there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand. Because he who, eat can, who can eat and, and who can enjoy life apart from him? Uh, chapter 3, I know there's nothing better for them to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts, his work, his toil. It's called labor. It's called work. Yes, it can be difficult at times, but it can still be fulfilling and enjoyable. And you may be here today and you say, well, I just hate my job and I hate work. Well, then let me give you three options. Get a new job. That's one. Or get creative and make it more enjoyable. Or three, get on your knees. Say, God, I need your help with my work. I just don't like it, but I know it's a gift from you. Would you help me understand how to make this more enjoyable and to enjoy it more? And give me wisdom and give me help. The good life is possible and the good life enjoys the simple. And next, the good life recognizes the inevitable. What is that? That life is short. That we're not here for long. And this is not to be negative, but positive. To give us a perspective on life and living so that we make the most out of our lives while we have life. Look at verse 19. He says, during the few days of his life, you and I only have a few days on this planet. Understand that. And according to deathclock.com, don't go there, I die September 21st, 2055 at the age of 88. And you're all invited to my funeral, just to let you know. So I have 12,238 days left. I don't know how many days I have left and neither do you. No man knows the day of his death, but Ecclesiastes 9.12 teaches this. For certainly no one knows his time. Like fish caught in a cruel net or like birds caught in a trap, so people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. We don't know. We don't know our last day. I do not know how many days I have left. Today could be my last day. Honestly, today can be your last day. We just don't know. Psalm 139, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God knows. We don't know how many days we have left, but we do know that our days are few. And God gives us different illustrations to teach this truth. You know what he says? He says, your life is like a runner in Job chapter 9. My days fly by faster than a runner. Doesn't take long for a runner to be out of view. Have you ever gone to a 5K or gone to a marathon? My my son just ran his first 50-mile ultra-marathon yesterday in the mountains of North Carolina. So proud of him. Eight hours, water crossings, lakes, all kinds of craziness. If you've ever gone to a race and you've waited for your runner, you've waited for that loved one, that friend, and you see him in the distance and they're coming and you start cheering and you're holding the sign, what? Yeah! They're gone. Uh, that's you. And right now you're being cheered for and you're passing and you're heading for the finish line. You're heading for the finish line. And the race is almost done. That's how quick it goes. He says our life is as short as a measurement, a short measurement in Psalm 39. In fact, you've made my days just inches long or a hand breath. It's the palm of your hand. That's it. Lifespan is nothing. Like a shadow in the Psalms. 
person goes about like a mere shadow. Days are like a lengthening shadow. His days are a passing shadow. That's nothing. Shadow, boom, done. Your life is like grass, flower. Again in the Psalms, I wither away like grass. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. Wind passes over it, it vanishes. Its place acknowledges it and no longer known. I think about the beauty of spring. Can't wait for all these flowers to just pop and beauty and fragrance. And it doesn't last long, does it? They're gone. Do you understand something? You are in bloom right now. You're in bloom right now. So look pretty and, sw- and smell pretty. <laughs> You're not going to be here long for long. Understand that. This is your time to bloom. And pretty soon, you and I are going to be gone. We're told in Psalm 144 and Job 7 that we're just a breath. That's all it is. That's what life is. James chapter 4, we're a vapor. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. What your life will be. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and it vanishes away. And Psalm 39 says the same thing. You're only a vapor. You're, you're like the morning fog that then just burns off and it's gone. So what should we do? We should number our days, Psalm 90. Our lives last 70 years or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them struggle, sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly, fly away. So if you make it to 70 or 80, you are doing really well. Anybody here over 80? Anybody, raise your hand, over 80. Woo, bonus right here. Yeah. Think about that. We don't, if we, we get to 70 or 80, we are doing really well. And so verse 12 says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So be wise with your days. Yes, life is short, but life can be good. So make the most of this very short life and be grateful. Which brings us to our next point. The good life lives with gratitude. You want the good life? Live with gratitude. Because everything in life is a gift. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19. During the few days of his life, God has given him, because this is, that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Not one time, not two times, three times. God has given you, God has given you the gift of God. Everything in this life is a gift from God. Your very life is a gift from God. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Breathe in right now. And exhale, that was God's gift to you. Every single breath you take is a gift. Every morning you open your eyes and wake up, that was God's gift to you. Every day you live is a gift. And so recognize Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every year of your life is a gift. So living the good life means this. Living the good life means not taking a single breath for granted. Living the good life means not taking a single morning that I wake up for granted. Not taking a single day for granted. Not taking a single year for granted. Your life is a gift of God. We're told our lives are a reward from God in Ecclesiastes 5.18. During the few days of his life, God has given him because that is his reward. Verse, verse 22 of chapter 3, I've seen there's nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. Chapter 9, enjoy life with the wife you love. 
all the days of your fleeting life, which, he's been, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days, for that is your portion or your reward in life and in your struggle under the sun. So start seeing your life as a reward, as a prize to be treasured. Today is a prize to be treasured. It's a precious portion from God. So our life is a gift. Our life is a reward. By the way, your wealth is a gift from God, no matter how much or little that you have. Look at verse 19. Everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth. God has given. Whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Scott. I worked really hard and I made that money. And I was very smart and I made that money. And I took risk and I made that money. Um, can I just remind you, you'd have no money ex outside of God's enablement. You'd have nothing and neither would I. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. God gave you that ability. Oh, and by the way, if you can't live without God giving you every breath, you can't live without God giving you the next breath. Don't you dare think you've made your own money. God has blessed. God has enabled. So there's no room for pride. There's no such thing as a self-made man. God gives us our breath. God gives us our resources. We have no money outside of God's wisdom. Proverbs 3. Happy is a man who finds wisdom, who acquires understanding. For she's more profitable than silver. Her revenue is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left riches and honor. So God's wisdom is better than money, yet it's God's wisdom that helps you make money. Listen to wisdom speak. Proverbs 8.18. With me are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. There's no money without God's enablement. There's no money without God's wisdom. We'd have no money outside of God's blessing. Proverbs 10.22, the Lord's blessing enriches, and he adds no painful effort to it. What does that mean? Well, it means wealth gained through sin comes with anxiety and conviction of that sin, and, and, and sorrow, and distress. But wealth gained by godliness comes without sorrow in getting it or keeping it, and there's no fear in losing it. It's from God. He can take it away. God's blessing comes with contentment and comfort. I know what some of you are thinking, well, Ecclesiastes 5.19 talks about God giving riches and wealth. That ain't me, Pastor Scott. Proverbs 10 says God's blessing, it enriches. Well, I don't have all kinds of riches. Let me just say this. If you live in America, you rich. You live in this country, you're rich. You live in a home. You own a car or more than a car. Or maybe because of gas, you rode your horse here. I'm not sure, but anyway. You have... You have TVs and laptops and smartphones and gaming systems and entertainment packages and streaming services and closets full of clothes and more shoes than most of us know what to do with. I don't even want to tell you how many different running shoes I have. You have food in your pantry and food in your refrigerator. You are rich. And any and all benefits and blessings are gifts from God. John the Baptist needed to remind his followers of this in John chapter 3. He said, no one can receive anything unless it's been given him from heaven. No one can receive anything unless God gave it. And that's why there's no reason to be jealous of other people. 
or envious of other people because God gave it to him. You want to be jealous or envious? You take it up with God. He's the one that blessed. There's only every reason to be grateful for what you have. Dig in your own garden and be grateful for what God has given you. James reminds us in chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift. Think about everything good that's ever happened in your life. It came from God, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So live with gratitude for all the good that God has given you and all the blessings he has bestowed on you. Humble gratitude is the proper attitude. The good life is possible. The good life enjoys the simple. The good life recognizes the inevitable. The good life lives with gratitude. The good life refuses to worry. Refuses to worry. Look at verse 20. I love verse 20. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. He does not often consider the days of his life. Why? Because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. So don't be preoccupied with pain and suffering and sorrow and struggles. Don't even be preoccupied with death. Recognize it's inevitable, but don't be preoccupied with it. Death is something not to be feared, but something to give us perspective on life and to live it well. And yes, there are times of pain and sorrow, but the focus is not those things. The focus is on those simple things in life and the activities that God has given and making the most of the time we have and living with gratitude for all the good things and all the blessings and all the joys that we do have in this life. And so refuse to worry or live in fear, taking one day at a time. He does not often consider the days of his life. He's not worried about all these days before or days and he's just focused on one day at a time. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Pick up one egg at a time. One moment at a time. One day at a time. It was in the late 1940s that people of the world were living in fear. They were living in fear of a world war. They were living in fear of the atomic bomb. Much like people today live in fear. They're living in fear of a possible World War III. They live in fear of possible nuclear weapons. C.S. Lewis was a committed believer. He was led to the Lord by J.R. Tolkien. He was one of the most influential writers and theologians of his day, and he held positions at Oxford University and Cambridge, probably best known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote this in light of all the people's fear in his day, and I want to read it to you. In one way, we think a great too much of the atomic bomb, our nuclear weapons. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, well, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. 
And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic or nuclear weapon, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible human things, simple things of life, the good life. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. There, they may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. A virus can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Amen. Don't let your mind be dominated by COVID. Amen, C.S. Lewis. Don't let your mind be dominated by viruses. Don't let your mind be dominated by possible world wars. Don't let your mind be dominated by nuclear weapons. Let your mind be dominated by the goodness of God and his gifts to you and the joyful things you have and the simple, beautiful things that you have in your life and the blessings of your God. Don't be preoccupied with the pain and sorrow and death of this world. Be preoccupied with joy and gladness. Look at verse 20. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And so let gladness of heart lift heaviness of heart. Life is not to be worried about. Life is not to be worried over. And if you're tempted to worry, listen to all the previous messages in this sermon series. Because I can't preach them all right now. Go back and listen. There's nothing to worry about. That was the first message. You really are loved. And it's going to work out. And every problem does have a purpose. And the glass is half full. And let's change the way we think. And today, enjoy the good life. Next week, the end, or in two weeks, the end is awesome. And so podcast these. Go back to our website at harvest.church and podcast them when you're running or when you're riding your bike or when you're driving to work or if you're working in the kitchen washing dishes. And let God's word, because we dive into the word of God, this is what gives us proper perspective in life. And this world bombards us with so much cynicism and negative uh, thoughts. And let God's word give clarity and perspective. Climb up to those mountain peaks and let God change us. And what he's teaching us in verse 20, for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. This is what he's teaching us. As you just enjoy one day at a time, day after day, the years are just going to pass by so quickly and so peacefully. Have you ever thought to yourself, and I know you've done this and I've done this, where'd the time go? Man, where, where, where'd the years? What happened to the years? Do you know what that's a sign of? That's not a sign of something to be discouraged about. Do you understand what that's a sign of? That's a sign that you've had a good life. That's a sign of the good life. That you're not preoccupied with everything. That God has given you the good life. He does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And as the angel Clarence said in that beautiful Christmas classic of a movie, you see George, 
you really had a wonderful life. Do you understand? Heaven has spoken to you today. And this is what heaven has said to you. You see, my child, you really do have a good life. Child of God, you have the good life. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Would you just thank God for the good life? Just name off his blessings. Name off his gifts. Name off all that he's done for you. Would you praise your God right now? You have a good life. Would you tell God right now you're going to start digging in your own garden? You're going to stop chasing the lies of this world. Ask God to help you not to chase the lies of this world. You have the good life. Would you confess to God you're complaining? your whining, your negativity, and your pessimism. Would you ask God to forgive you of that? You're here today, and you're, a, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Please understand the good life begins when you ask the Lord to save you and forgive you of all your sins. And God wants to give you the good life. And it starts with knowing him personally. And you may say, Scott, I don't know God. This is all new to me. I don't go to church, but I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Then you're right where the rest of us are or were. Would you call out to the Lord right now and ask him to be your savior? Just in the quietness of your heart, just say words like these, Lord, I need you. I'm tired of chasing this world. God, would you forgive me of all of my sin? Would you save me from all of my sin? I am so sorry for all of my sin. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much that you die for me. I can't save myself. Lord, I place my faith in you. I place my faith in you alone. Would you please forgive me? And would you please save me? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings, visit at harvest.church.